Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 87. A new hand, a new fist. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Mmm, fist. Okay, uh, this episode guys, we're covering the years of 133 and 134 AC. I'm sure you have all everything that happened in those years burned into your memories, but uh, we're going to go over them anyways. This episode focuses then on the emergence of a new hand of the king his brief tenure in charge, as well as the coming of age of a new Valerian Bade. Uh, Valerian, I should say. Our source material for this one, we continue our trek through fire and blood, this one being the chapters Under the Regents, War and Peace and Cattle Shows, and also Under the Regents, The Voyage of Alan Oakenfist. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I didn't think about this until you were just reading this sentence. Two years in this whole episode we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. Sweeping, right? Sweeping. Yeah. So, like, like you go, like, I don't know, this book's long. It's a lot of pages, but we got 125 years or something in all these pages. And we've had, like, I don't know what, the, the dance plus these couple chapters after the dance has been a total of, like, four years of content and it's yeah it slows down significantly slows down during the dance chapters tons. yeah it's mm. crazy yeah anyway just something hit me right there as you were saying this about the two years all right mm -hmm. so let's jump into announcements uh so quick reminder we are taking a break we announced this uh last episode we're taking a break after the release of this episode for the summer we're uh busy family guys and we're gonna take some vacations and do a little relax and do some catching up on some other things you bet. Uh, we'll be returning, though, in September with new episodes, as we always do. Yeah! And uh, if we if we end up doing something in between, we'll let you know, right? Absolutely. I mean, patrons should keep their eyes open. There'll, there'll for sure right. be stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we come back, just as a reminder of what our future plans are, we're going to finish up to the end of Fire and Blood. So whatever else we have left, how much we don't have that much left, right? No, it's it's we're, it's going to be an a handful episode. of chapters. I think it's two. It's a, it's like a total of forty pages or fifty pages. It's not much. Yeah, it's going to be a weird episode. So, uh, we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll figure out something fun to do. Lots of dick and fart jokes and stuff. Um, do that anyway. Yeah, what's going to stop us? And then, but then after that. We realized that because we were covering the novellas, we missed some of the other parts of Fire and Blood, particularly the beginning parts. So after we finish up the end of Fire and Blood, we're actually going to go back and cover whatever we missed before that. So if you're still working on reading Fire and Blood, keep working on it if you want to follow along with us and uh, you've got plenty of time to catch up. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay, so like we said, we're continuing our coverage of Fire and Blood. It's uh, it's historical. We frequently reference the main series, so there's spoilers everywhere in here. So, um, you know, that's just the way it is. Deal with it. I wonder if people care. If you guys, if there's anyone that listens to these episodes having not read the five A Song of Ice and Fire books, I would love to hear that. That'd be really interesting to me. I bet there was one person. One. I don't know. And some I bet some kid like some kid like Rico. their parents buy them the book because it has a cool cover and they're like, ah, oh, this looks neat. And they're like, okay, I'll read it, Dad. And then, you know, like 
Like, what is this world? I, <laughs> I bet it's happened a couple times. So my uncle got really into the show, and he's like, uh, he's probably pushing 60. And uh, so when we see each other at family get-together Sunday dinners and stuff, we'd always geek out, and he'd talk to me about it and stuff, but he hadn't read the books. And uh, for Christmas, last this last Christmas, he's like, did Fire and Blood come out before Christmas? It did, right? Yeah, it did. It came out in like November, okay. I think. Because he got Fire and Blood for Christmas. He's never read the actual books. He's just watched the television show. And his wife, he's like, oh, I want to read the books. So his wife, my aunt, just went out and found him a book by George R. R. Martin. And so uh, that was it because she didn't know any better. It's like she you with Star him. Wars. <laughs> and he's like, dude, what in the world am I reading? <laughs> and and Oh, I was like, oh, buddy, 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 you poor, poor, tortured soul. No, 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 no. You're going to go back to the store. Here's what you're going to buy. Buy the one that's actually just called Game of Thrones, Randy. It's really simple. So and, uh, given your story, I think I have to up my estimate to more than one. Well, he doesn't you... listen to the podcast. No, that's true. That I but but I, we we're just talking about people that have read this that haven't read the main series. Mm -hmm. Right. But I... yeah. Hmm. So technically. I don't think he got very far before yeah. he's like, now, yeah, now. I wonder. I, I I wondered how how much this would happen, but one of my good friends, uh, J Lo, we call him. Yes, it's funny. Um, mm. And uh, he he after the show ended, he's like, I'm gonna read the books, and he's picked him up and he's ro rolling through the podcast. And he's on like episode seven, and. Uh, He's, you know, he's read a bunch of chapters and he's loving it. I wonder how many people are doing that. Like now that the series ended, they were just kind of waiting. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to read them now. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a coworker that actually just started doing the same thing. Yeah, interesting. So it's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. We owe the show that for sure. Oh shit. So. We're recording a podcast for people here. We should probably get going. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty bar for the course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you you know if you want to contact us, suggest topics for future episodes, um, criticize us for not getting to the point fast enough, you know things like that. You can always find us at our website, davosfingers.com. Uh, you can email us. Our email address is we are davosfingers at gmail.com. You can find and like us on Facebook. We are constantly on the Twitter at davosfingers. Uh, or you can learn more about our Patreon program. Become a patron of ours. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Davos Fingers to do that. Indeed, indeed. And with that, I think it's time to go ahead and get started. Okay, let's do this thing. All right. So, just a little <clears throat> quick summary to catch us up on where we are. The period of time immediately following a violent change in power is crucial in determining the path that will follow. This is especially true with the turbulent Dance of Dragons, wherein almost the entire ruling family killed itself off. A king of Ooh. eleven is crowned, the ruling city itself is near revolt against its leaders, and the realm literally almost divided in two over this conflict. But during this time, the trio of Cregan Stark, Corlys Valerion, and Tylan Lannister managed to stabilize the realm, despite their very different approaches and motivations providing hmm. this makeshift skiff of a new government a path through the storm and giving it a chance to float. But, with the passing of Tywin Lannister, which we just covered at the end of the last episode, who would pick up the torch and lead this next phase of recovery? Who, indeed? 
Hmm, very interesting question. You know, just before you get into stuff, I man, this I was thinking about Aegon last night, Aegon the Third. Um and you you demonstrated in your summary there really well the kind of the situation the realm found it in. And I was just as I'm sitting there in bed thinking about him, I the thing with Aegon was he was kind of defeated before he even got started, right? When he got his crown, he was already done. Yeah. Um, and when the when the realm is recovering from devastation like the dance, like you said, yeah. they they require a leader of inspiration. who has drive, who's yeah. inspirational, who's charismatic. Yeah. Someone who will show them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and a positive outlook. And uh, you, you mentioned very well the three, Corliss and Cregan and uh, Thailand, who maybe they weren't just like, let's go get them, guys. They, they provided that stability. And Aegon just unfortunately, you know, he wasn't that guy. And that's where having a monarchy in general can cause problems. There's a lot of problems there's, with the monarchy. Yeah, yeah. Let bunch. me count the ways. Yeah, one of many is that you get whoever is next in line, whether they're the right person at the time for the job or not. Yeah. Well, Aegon's next, so here he is. And the poor guy, uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit more into his personality in the episode. I feel for him, but he just he was defeated before he even began, and that causes problems. So yes, indeed, your question of who is going to step in and fill this void is a very good one. Right, and uh, we'll try to answer that question here, even with the beginning quote for this section. Ooh! Rightly or wrongly, Sir Tyland Lannister was perceived as having been a weak and ineffectual hand, yet somehow Wrong. also sinister, scheming, even monstrous. Lord Unwin Peak came to the handship, determined to demonstrate his strength and rectitude. Mm-hmm. But before we get to Unwin... We get something interesting, basically, uh, you know, uh, in relation to the comments you just made about Aegon, about being defeated and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of already just kind of set aside almost as, as that inspirational ruler. Because immediately upon the passing of Tyland, Aegon showed some rare interest in governing. Let's do this. For like a moment, like looking mm-hmm. as if he could and wanted to grasp like what was going on around him, right? He had the sense that those already around him were not right for the job. And he immediately appointed two new Kingsguard, Robin Massey and Robert Darkland, who were, uh, yeah, Robert Darkland, who were who were both Massey and Darkland. Those are those are core Lannister families, right? They are sorry, core uh, Targaryen uh, families. They yeah, were, located were, in the Crown Lands. In the Crown Lands, yeah. they've always been very loyal to them. Um, lots of them in the Kingsguard and, and friends of the family, right? So he passed over Sir Marston Waters, whom he did not trust, to be uh, the leader of the Kingsguard. Perhaps yeah. even more bold, he sent for Lord Thaddeus Rowan to be his new hand, and for Lord Alan Oakenf- uh, Lord Alan Valerion, sorry, to be his new admiral. He did all of this through old Maester, or no longer Maester, previously a Maester, Orwile, who's now on death row. So he, like, it's almost like his death just, like, snapped him out of it for a minute. And he's like, I've got to do this now. I am born right. of kings. I will lead. I will. I will do this for my people and myself and my family. Um, what do you think, Matt? Uh, <laughs> I think 
we find a, a, a boy who's suffering from a sev- severe, severely suffering from a deep, deep, deep depression, right? And you see that from people who, who suffer from that. They have these moments where they get up and get out in front and they get, and, and there's a motivation to do, and it's such an empowering and powerful feeling for them. Here's the problem with Aegon. He always gets pushed back down by people like, we're going to get to him, by people like Peak. Um, and so it talks about how Thailand treated him with deference and stuff. We're going to get to that later, whereas Unwin Peak didn't. And I'm sorry I'm jumping the gun here by talking about Unwin. Oh, you're good. But um, he uh, – Unwin constantly pushes Aegon back down, whereas it, it seemed like Thailand treated him at least respectfully. And so it's kind of sad that Thailand's death is what triggered Aegon to to step up and try to do. Um, unfortunately, as we're going to see, that's just going to get him smacked right back down to the ground again. And that's a terrible thing to do to a boy. So. Yeah, we I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later too. Um, yes, definitely. But, but some of his other choices. Uh, yeah, it, it's like this little Targaryen genetic material kicked in for like a minute. Yeah, right, and then uh-huh. it was just suppressed. So basically, Lord Unwin, who's one of the regents, um, steps up and says, "No, a, a king of eleven has no power. This is what the regents are for. Remember to avoid these rash." decisions even though you know to this reader the decisions seem pretty friggin good to be honest um you know we got a whole a whole lot of stuff about how great thaddeus rowan was in the last episode <laughs> um the only three regents around anymore because a bunch of them left are unwin peak lord mouton who's recovering from winter fever still and mm-hmm. uh grandmaster munkin so they're going to set out in the city helping yeah. people with winter fever. He's, he's not really right. been in the red keep doing much. Exactly. So they're going to try to set things right with peak really being the one to take control and force his own decisions down everyone's throats. So in, in no time at all, he comes to the red keep and says, no, 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 no boy. Marston waters is the Lord commander. Darklet and Massey. Good picks, but they're out. Or while but, you're going back, but they to serve yourself, for life. They yes. serve for life. Aegon, Aegon's reaction is, but Kingsguard served for life. I, I pointed them. Um, and so he undoes, undoes all of them. Lord Rowan, they appease him by offering him the justice here and master of laws. Um, and he just ignores the appointment of Alan Valerion. Just ignores it and dismisses yeah, it. Yeah, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And he makes himself hand and protector of the realm. And no Yeah, one... he combines the two positions yeah. together. Yeah. Which is not because unique. That's should... been done before. But right. um, but yeah, I mean, he just does it. And it's like, all right, I guess no one's stopping him. Okay. Um, so Aegon kind of puts up this fight a little bit. King's Hard Serve a Life. But he's roughly put down. Mm-hmm. And he just politely kind of backs into a corner. He says, I'm still a boy, as your lordship knows, and in want of instruction in these matters. Yeah. And the text says something like, he just kind of... I don't like this text because the rest of the these two chapters indicate that it's not actually true. But the text says he kind of withdraws for the rest of his rule and isn't seen or heard, um, which which isn't entirely true. Like he does show up and yeah. do some things, but yeah, kind of like what you were saying earlier. I just feel like this just kind of crushed the life out of him. He's a, a yeah, child. He finally saw this bit of light, and right. then 
Right. Like um there was that that uh Twitter conversation that you uh posted about fiction and and uh, fiction not being okay to read or whatever over the summer. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. We got a mm-hmm. bunch of reaction from people saying teachers do this, yeah. it's terrible. Like teachers won't let their kids read like uh, well, f- science fi- science fiction, fantasy, comic book type, graphic novel type stuff. Right. And, you know, he- he's a kid showing interest. He needs to be encouraged, right? Yep. These readers that want to read, they should be encouraged. I'm so excited. Yep. Uh, Little Pippin is like, man, he's going for it. He's reading. Ooh, what's he ton. liking? Oh, he's reading. I mean, I don't love the material, but I encourage the crap out of it. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. he's he loves Captain Underpants. He's been reading. Oh, uh, yeah, he's been reading a little bit the uh, what the the Treehouse, the Magic Treehouse. Have you heard of these? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he wants to start. He wants to start a podcast with me talking about the Magic Treehouse books. And I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm like, oh, uh, you totally but, should. You uh, totally should. Well, I don't want to discourage him. Like, just kind of like this conversation. I'm like, I, I want to be encouraging and supportive. But he doesn't really even know what a podcast is. He knows I do one. And I'm like, well, you, uh-huh. you know, you read the books and then you talk about them and you record it. And he's like, oh, like on cameras? I'm like, well, no. You know, like he doesn't really even know what it is. I think he just knows that I do this and, you know, hears me say the word and knows it's about you books. You do like a YouTube channel. Yeah, something. I, my, I definitely my don't want to My son Chewy him. wants to start a YouTube channel talking about Pokemon cards and hockey. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Those are his two things. You're going to so. do that? <laughs> I'm going to let him. I'm going to record one and, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, Maya, uh, let's see. Um, Mary is seven? Uh, Pip, uh, Pippin is, so I think sometimes I actually confuse the names. Uh, Pip, who is who? Pippin is Pippin is my elder. and he's, Oh, I thought yeah, Mary he, was older. Uh, he might be. Uh, <laughs> we're calling him Pippin today. He's seven okay. and Mary's almost five. Yeah. Okay, yeah, seven. So that's my kids. My boy was into Captain Underpants about that time. Yeah. And then my my daughter was really into the Magic Treehouse books. So yes and yes. So I read the first one that we bought the, of the Merlin missions, and uh, it's pretty good. It's remarkable. It's they're, pretty fine little books. They're pretty fun. I, you know, I'm like, I'm like okay, if we're going to talk about this in podcast, I got to read it. Like, I, I got to be able to talk to him about it. So I'm like reading it and I, I'm on page like 75. I'm like, all right, what's going to happen next? I, I was like into it. You know, I was, I was into it. And it runs a gamut of different things. Ancient Egypt, medieval times, uh, yeah. World War II, like all sorts of different things. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, look for that, Kalasar. <laughs> New podcast from, from Scatted and Pippin. Maybe. And YouTube channels of my son talking about the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team and his favorite Pokemon. <laughs> Coming at you. Oh, man. Anyways. Where were we? Okay, so 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 there's that. So how does how does Unwin Peak do as, as hand? Well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about the Peaks, first of all. They are an old house. Back to the Age mm-hmm. of the Heroes and the First Men. I mean, they're they're old. They're established. They've been valued advisors to House Gardener of High Garden. So this is the, the people that ruled the Reach before the Tyrells did, before the Field of Fire and Aegon's Conquest and all of that. But they are a house that's been hum that uh, that's been humbled since then, right? So uh, when the Tyrells took over, they uh, they kind of 
they still have land and a lot of people, but they're kind of land rich and, and money poor, right? Mm. Uh, and they don't they definitely don't have that place of honor in their reach that they had before. They also, by the way, they were the house that kind of sent the Manderleys packing. Um, so between this a-hole on one peak and their already established spot in the canon as the killer of Roger of Pennytree, which you may remember, um, mm-hmm. conspirators during the Blackfire Rebellions, perpetrators of their own named uprising a little bit later against the throne, the Peaks are basically the rare family that George uses to be villains. There's there's very little to like about them. He doesn't give them a lot of good stuff. You know, they're a well-known house and everything, but basically they're dicks. Yep. Um... So that's who's that's who's hand right now, the leader of that. And house. unsuccessful dicks too, in the end. Yeah, I mean they were they had their time. I mean they, they you know he, they, they own they own three castles like three three you know sets of land. They're you know. But even then, not particularly wealthy. No, not wealthy. Oh. Yep, true. Yeah. So anyway, so so he he jumps in there and wastes no time in placing his people. Right in in positions. Oh my gosh! Lots of them. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, so blatantly obvious. It's uh, insane. And I don't know whether it's a power. It's a complete power grab, or it's just kind of, you know, this always. I've seen this in companies too. It's like you promote who you know. Like, what else are you gonna do? It's like, well, I got this thing. I'll bring you know, bring yeah, bring him in. I I, I trust that guy. I've got experience with him. So I don't know. It's probably oh, a, a little of both, maybe. But his bastard brother and nephew both put in the king's guard. Yeah, he gets five hundred of his own men put to the city watch. Yeah. Uh, plus, he makes Lucas Laygood, who's a former, who's the son of a former Caltrop. You remember the Caltrops of which Unwin Peak was one. He makes that guy the leader of the city watch. He also gets mm-hmm. his own like badass protection strike force that he calls. Guess what? The Fingers, Matt. Yeah, you like that. <laughs> The leader of which is a, a former slave, Tessario the Tiger, who's a nasty piece of work. He also puts... Seems... Go ahead. Sorry, it just seems dumb to me that you would hire sellswords to be your personal protectors. Yeah, like they can be bought, remember? You've bought Because, them? yeah, they sell their swords. Yeah. If someone really wants to kill him, do you think, and they're willing to pay up for it, how loyal are these guys going to be? I don't know. Tell, tell it to Tyrion, to man. Tell it to Tyrion. You got me convinced. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other other friends and family to lesser offices, but basically crucial people everywhere to oversee what's going on, including uh, to train Aegon in, in arms, um, to mm-hmm. the, the master at arms there. He also names a new Septon and gets rid of old, old Septon Eustace, um, who's been skating along. Uh, without getting his head taken off somehow. Septon Bernard! Right. So... I just want to sing! <laughs> so... It said that he found pleasure in sacred music. Yeah. Septon Bernard, yes, he did. Yeah. And it also says he was no good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. They, You know, we get Septon Eustace's accounts, uh, thankfully, right, to get some of this information. But it, it notes Septon Bernard doesn't write, and so we don't get... We don't get any of those smashing uh, religious overtones in any of the history anymore. No. Uh, like, it was seven strikes upon the dragon's head that did it. One for all of the gods. Uh, you don't get that in this period of time because Seth Bernard does not care mm-hmm. to write them. Uh, okay, so Aegon didn't like the direction that things are going, but what's an already rebuffed boy of 11 to do? 
He's got no friends, you know? So he acts out in the training yard a bit, like refusing to train. Uh, and that's taken away too, because they make Game on Pale Hair. Remember him? They make him the whipping boy for whenever Aegon isn't training admirably. And he was like Aegon's only real friend. Yes. He had. Yeah, he's like five or six years younger than he is. Yeah, he's significantly younger, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Aegon, base, it, it's, it's a sad story. Aegon is quite honestly beaten into submission, both physically and mentally, by this new yep. hand and his, his henchmen. Um, cowed in the yard and in council meetings and made to, made to be unneeded. And so he, yeah, he just kind of melts into the shadows. He falls back into that, yep. So what That's kind of... heartbreaking. What kind of a hand was Unwin Peak then? Um, you know the guy that kind of like when you're growing up always had to prove how hard he was. You know, yeah, yep. that's that's what they used to say in my day. I don't know if that's a phrase anymore. It doesn't mean the sexual thing that now I realize probably everyone thinks I mean. Uh, well, that's probably part of it. Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> I don't think we fully understood. Or still understand the entendre involved. But <clears throat> I remember my friend Chad hitting three singles in PE softball over the head of, of, of the hardest guy in our classes uh, at, at first base. So, you know, they're just little loopy singles kind of taunting and teasing the other team. Uh, and as he stood on first base for that third time, this mm. guy, his name is Ari, and... <laughs> I'm outing him right now, even though I lived in fear of Ari. Uh, yep. And I hope you're listening, bud, because I was too scared as an individual then to give you a fair shake. I bet you're a good person. Anyway, um, he's standing there on first base. He, he's like, do not do that again. <laughs> do not do that again. And like menacingly stood over him. And this is what Unwin is doing now. He has his big speech... This hand is not blind, nor veiled, nor crippled. This hand can still wield a sword. And he draws Orphan Maker, Valyrian Steel Sword, formerly belonging to John Roxton. Recognize this? Yeah, he killed. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't kill him. Um, John Roxton was killed by Hugh the Hammer. Took it off his body, yeah. Or men of Hugh, Hugh, Hugh the Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then took it off his body. Um, so he... So he has he basically wants to prove how how badass he is. So he decides to back up this statement with brutality. On the feast day of our father above, he emptied the city jails and the dungeon of the Red Keep, and he had the fingers, his protection guys, and the king's justice deliver punishments. You ready for this? It's it's a lot. We got a few. Yeah, there's a bunch. I'll go through them quick because it doesn't matter that much. Forty thieves lost their hands, eight rapists gelded and sent to the wall, tongue removed from a poor fellow that was spouting treason, two sex workers with the pox were, well, I mean, it, it, it says mutilated. I don't want to talk about what it mutilated means. Mutilated in unspeakable ways. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Six servants had their noses slit, a seventh lost an eye, six murderers were hung, a seventh had his hands hacked off, burned in front of him, then hung, then disemboweled. Uh, a shepherd reborn and a man guilty of bringing the winter fever were beheaded by the headsman's axe. And finally... Finally, Maester Orwile put away by a sword. And in George's creepy version of humanity, thousands watched and then later that night slaked their own lusts with drink and sex. Of course, that's what you do. Aegon, meanwhile, was forced to watch the whole thing. 
Uh, yeah. His grace was present, as was his duty, yet somehow he seemed far away as well. It reminded me of Jamie's um, counsel to Brienne. Let mm. them do it and go away go, inside. Go right? inside. You know, the kid has seen so much. And, I, you know, I don't want to turn this whole episode into a, oh, poor Aegon. But he's seen so much that, yeah, I think he's just used to seeing this stuff and, and not thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, this, you know, forced to watch, but it wasn't his, his doing. Um, so beyond that, Unwin also knows he's got to rule, get the realm going. So it's kind of in a shitty state. Despite all Tywin did, it's still kind of in, in, in rough shape. Um, winter fever had left King's Landing, but was still menacing the north. Trade had kind of really withered to almost nothing. The waterways were choked. The Dornish were being Dornish. The Greyjoys were being Greyjoys. Unwin had to do something. And so he takes the eight warships, uh, eight of ten are now completed that Tyland wanted, and he decides he's going to open the Narrow Sea. But he knows he can't yep. do it <laughs> with with three ships because uh, Pentos, Bravos, and Rikalio Rindun are still lurking in the step zones and kind of choking that all off. So, so he appoints his uncle, surprise, surprise, another family member, uh, to basically run the royal fleet. And gets him some help, Ned Bean, a cell sail, because Gedmund had literally zero experience on a boat. Literally zero to the point where he gets sick on boats. <laughs> Good with a battle axe, though. Great with a battle axe. Mm -hmm. So he knows he needs help, so he goes to the Valerion fleet. Enter Alan. Alan actually is totally keen to help. He wants to make a name for himself, establish his power yeah, at sea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's down. He's down to clown, as it were. Uh, mm -hmm. But he's not really interested in being commanded. Shock, I know. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. He makes it clear that this is his fleet, not the realms to command. Uh, to the point where they send Ned Bean, they call him the Black Bean, to his ship to say, all right, I'm in control of this fleet now. And Alan sends him back and says, I would have hanged him. But I am loath to waste good hemp and rope on a bean. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, right away, what you have here is Unwin appointing a guy, or not appointing a guy, but asking for help from a guy who's willing to help but wants to be in control. And you have Unwin himself, who is very interested in being in power and proving that he's tough and in control. So this is going to be a shaky dynamic from the get-go. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of his only option. So their goal, anyway, is to clear Rikalio Rindun, avoid conflict with the Bravosi, because the Bravosi are badass at sea, and just open yep, a clear path that. that they can kind of snake through in the Stepstones, you know, without bothering Pentos or, or Bravos. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, while they sailed, the waters changed, the tide shifted. Now Bravos. What? Yeah, now Bravos, Tyrosh, and Rikalio are aligned. And Pentos is now the odd man out. For some reason, they're always in threes. I had to, like, <laughs> write down all the shifting alliances. <laughs> I know. It's just awful. To, for it to make sense. To, what was it? Tyrosh, Lys, Mir, yep. Pentos. Yep. Even Lorath is thrown in there sometimes. Yeah. Bravos, yep. Rakalio. Right. <sighs> I was just watching, uh, I just thought of this. So the show I love, Shit's Creek. Yes, I've been watching it. Did I tell you that? 
Oh, you have? I love it. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic? It's hilarious. I love. You love. You I, love David, don't you? I do, but I lo- I love the sister more. I can't, I can't remember her name now. Alexis. Alexis. She's so awful that I and I can't stand her so much that I love her. David. <laughs> yes. David. Um, uh, I love, love, love that show. And I'm so happy to see all the good press it's been getting the past few months. It's like oh, taken off seen... all of a sudden. Oh, good. <clears throat> but there's, you, you might remember this episode then. It's, I think it's still in season one. <clears throat> and Alexis goes in to get a smoothie from the one, you know, yes. kind of yeah. uh, shop that they have there. And yes. Twyla, the, Twyla. Yep. the waitress is there. Who's actually, do you know she's Eugene Levy's daughter? Twyla is? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. That's Dan Levy's sister? Yeah. So um, Alexis is like, oh, Twyla, what's in this meadow harvest smoothie? Oh, yes. It's like <laughs> whatever she like, found that day. Uh, uh, <laughs> it changes every day. It all just depends on my mood. Yeah. And Alexis is like, is it more like fruity? And Twyla's like, yeah, for sure. But sometimes it's not. It's, yeah. Yeah. So meadow harvest doesn't refer to anything. No, it does. It just it just changes every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like these uh, <laughs> these guys across the narrow sea. It's just every day. It, it's the same, but it changes every single day. <laughs> there you go. The Shit's Creek alliances. Um, yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's it is it's tough. <laughs> it's tough to it's tough to keep uh, keep your head wrapped around. Uh, almost to the point where it feels like George is just messing with us uh, with all these alliances. Um, so anyway, uh, it's going to be tricky now to avoid the Bravosi because they're like friends with Rikalio now and, and kind of all over the place. So they find this out because um, the uh, the Lord of Tarth had sailed out to meet them and tell them, hey, this is going on, by the way. Gedmund, who's technically in charge, goes back, takes the whole fleet back to Tarth to mm-hmm. send word of this to Unwin and await orders. But Alan, gotta ask Dad. yeah, gotta ask, gotta ask. I think it's nephew or something. Yeah, but yes, yep. that's the idea. Uh, gotta ask the dude in charge. Alan ain't gonna have it though. They fight. They get in this big argument about you know losing the sake of losing the art of surprise, and we got to do it now and. Edmund wants to wait because he's sick of being on a boat literally and figuratively. Um, so he leaves and they figure he ran home with his tail between his legs just to take his fleet, take his ball and go home. But mm-hmm. really, actually, he, actually, he went out and crushed the Bravosi fleet. <laughs> he, he took his ships, catching them mostly unawares, taking burning, sinking Bravosi ships including smashing the Grand Defiance, a 400-or Bravosi warship, with his own Queen Rayanus. Just ran right into Ran right into the broadside of it, smashing into the larger ship with his prow like a great oaken fist. And there is the nickname that he gets, Alan Oakenfist. Uh, he only lost three of his own ships during the whole battle. Uh-huh. He sunk 30 of the opposing ships, captured six, uh, plus 11 cogs, lots of hostages, food, weapons, money, and an elephant. What? Which he rode through the streets of King's Landing when he went back to celebrate and bring all the riches that he stole. He rides through the streets like Aladdin, hmm. just getting praised everywhere. 
Uh, you're mm-hmm. gonna love this guy. Um, Prince Aline. Aline. Yeah, Prince yes, Aline. That came together. So uh, he delivers all this stuff to King Aegon and receives praise from Aegon, but the ire of Unwin, right? Mm-hmm. Be- because here, here's the thing. We love to cheer for Alan, but his victory is very hollow uh, to some degree. It accomplished nothing that Unwin desired, right? What Unwin wanted was that straight open for trade. Definitely didn't happen. The step zones are still closed. They're he, still run by pirates. They're still run by pirates and the yeah. Bravosi too, because that was only part of the Bravosi fleet. Uh, Rikalio now has more influence, not less. Uh, he basically just punched Mike Tyson in the shoulder. Mike Tyson being the Bravosi in this case, because we haven't talked about it a lot, but their fleet is enormous, and we'll come back to it in a little bit. Um, he's, he basically says, you have given us war, to which Alan says, and an elephant. Pray. Oh, I got you this elephant, too. Do not forget the elephant. <laughs> so what do you think? Is Unwin, is Unwin right to be angry? You bet. Yeah. You bet. As much as I love Alan, and I hope that we can get more into the way George has pitted Alan against Unwin personality-wise and stuff, setting them up Ooh. as foils for each other. Um, I'm excited for you to bring he, that content. He was right. Yeah, Unwin was right in this case. But he's mm-hmm. still a dick. He's he's absolutely a dick. <laughs> and I love, love, love the story of Alan just being like, we're going to do this. And then ramming his ship straight through another 400 ore ship. Yeah. That's just as awesome as it can get. I see. It is. But. Uh, Our good friend uh, yeah. Ghost Chase Killa uh, named his D&D character after Alan. Did he really? He did. Yeah. Ghost chase, you yeah. dog. Yeah, they've yep. Anyway. I love that guy. He's awesome. So So, what does Unwin do in response to this? He's now got Bravos is probably pissed. He's still got the trade area closed. Uh he's still got Greyjoys being Greyjoys on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the continent. So he comes up with a pretty brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. He uses Alan's brash self-assurance against himself. He appoints him master of ships and gives him a nigh-impossible mission, which Alan has really no option but to accept now that he's master of ships. Sail through the Stepstones, around the Arm of Dorne, past Old Town, and up the west to rid the realm of Dalton Greyjoy's antics. Of course. This is a win-win for Unwin. Win-win-unwin. Win-win-win. Win-win. Un-win-win. Un-win-win. Anyway, uh, because he either succeeds in clearing the Stepstones and getting rid of the Greyjoys, or this young rival who's really pissing him off dies uh, in the attempt. Yep. So he can't lose. Great, great idea, Unwin. Smartly done. But the downfall to that is, okay, but if you send your whole fleet away, what are you going to do about Mike Tyson, who you just punched in the shoulder? Well, he's going to apologize and pay, yep. and pay him a bunch of money. So listen, listen about what happened. I, I am so sorry. <laughs> I, my bad. Uh, he sends Lord Mouton and a bunch of other lackeys up to treat with the Sea Lord of Bravos. By the time they get there, uh, Bravos has already replaced all the ships that Alan sunk. Yeah. 
Remember, they can the arsenal. They can build like a ship a day. Yeah, they're, is their claim. They're masters of this, and the Sea Lord takes them to the arsenal to to show them to the shipyard to show them like, hey, this is our operation. We're not afraid of your power at sea. Look, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, job done, uh, intimidation wise. So they basically have to flatter and pay and and apologize to avoid war with Bravos. Yeah. But it works. Uh, a sizable indemnity. We don't know how much, but it's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So big that the Iron Throne actually has to start borrowing from the Iron Bank of Bravos just to yeah. pay the debts. So Bravos <laughs> is making money off of the payments and the ins- and the interest. Yes. Uh, it's just like, yeah, this yeah. is great for them. Yes. Great move, Bravos. Yes. Um and, and and also they have to, to, to help pay for it. They also have to reinstitute a lot of the taxes that Thailand had already undone. And this was, uh, you know, not popular. So in addition to the sizable indemnity, uh, they get, or, or for that, they get peace and forgiveness from Bravos. They get them to dissolve their alliance with Tyrosh and Rendun. So I guess it's just mm-hmm. Tyrosh and Rendun. I guess they're probably accepting applications for a third member now uh, for their trio. They got they got Alex Lifeson still and Getty Lee and they're they're still looking then for a drummer I guess, but <laughs> uh, and then they also get the Stepstones. Unwin, so it worked out. Unwin bought the Stepstones from the Sea Lord of Bravos, who did not own them. But whatever, I guess. He's like, yeah, I'll give you the Stepstones. They're yours. You don't own them. <laughs> Why? <laughs> What do you mean? You you can't give them to me. But whatever. Well, he does. I guess that's but how he it does. Works. Yeah. So that's it. So that's how you know Unwin for all his for all his uh, bluster. You know he's he's uh, he's shown himself to be kind of a cagey ruler, I think, and a dick. Yeah. Problem is the dick part just really. Yeah taints things and for more taint. on taint. for more on that i think we turn to you matt cattle show oh i do have a quote though yes please at tourneys fair maidens and high ladies vied for the honor of being named the queen of love and beauty but such reigns lasted only for a night whichever maid king aegon chose would reign over westeros for a lifetime but wait scad aegon's already married not for long says i not for long. We had a, a string of disasters happen. We had famine in the north. There's still winter fever, although it's left King's Landing. We've got wildling attacks. We've got raiders in Dorne. Uh, we still have problems over in the Westerlands with, uh, with Dalton Greyjoy and everything. And then, worse of all, Queen Jehera, all of 10 years old at the time, dies of an apparent suicide throwing herself from Magor's, Magor's hold fast down onto the spikes below. Um, tragic, agonizing death took her 30, she says she lingered for 30 minutes down there impaled on the spikes before dying. Um, yeah. As and you can imagine. Echoes echoes of her mother, right? Uh, Helena right. died the same way. Right, interesting, and right? Remember what happened when that happened. Rumors all about the city of foul play and Hmm, and those rumors surface again. I mean, Jehera was such a simple, she was described as kind of a simple-minded gal. She was 10 years old, but didn't didn't quite act like a 10-year-old. Um, 
she seemed content kind of at this point in her life to just kind of be in her quarters, be with, you know, her ladies, her kittens. Reminds me a little bit of Tommen. Um, just kind of a content, simple gal, not involved at all in the ruling of the kingdom. Uh, she was queen by basically name only. So the rumors started swirling. Why would this this girl who who seemed to be, you know, just kind of there? Why would what would drive her to kill herself? Um, so rumors, of course, started swirling that she didn't kill herself, but that she was murdered. Uh, what were some of the rumors that King Aegon did it because he wanted a a real wife? Some say Cassandra Baratheon did it. She who had almost been Aegon II's uh, queen and was jealous. Some said a bedmaid of Jaehaerys. Some said a serving boy. But uh, all of these were dismissed. But one kind of lingers in the minds of the people. Yeah. That being the hand of the king, Unwin Peak. Why would he do it? Well, some postulate he needed to remove Jehera so Aegon could remarry and start the work of getting kids going. Jehera is too young. He can't have kids with her yet. And <clears throat> these two uh, sisters, half-sisters of Aegon, who Unwin hates, yeah. Reina and Bela, they're both married now, and they're both going to have kids. And those kids are going to become heirs to the Iron Throne, and that cannot happen. So Aegon has to marry someone and get to the child creating as quickly uh, as as he could. Because if yeah. Aegon has even one kid, that kid comes first in the line of succession. That's right. And Lady Lady Raina recently, uh, I don't remember whether you mentioned this or not, but she actually had a miscarriage. She had miscarried. And maybe that kind of spurred him on a little bit to be like, all right, that was, that was a warning shot. And mm-hmm. there was no kid, but I gotta, I gotta act now on this. Uh, Bela's pregnant. Yeah, uh, not yet. Um, but oh, uh, yes, I think she was right. Right as, well, I think it's probably happening right around the same time. It they cover it in the next chapter when Alan leaves. Right. That, that he when he before he leaves before he leaves he finds out that she's pregnant. I think. Right. Right. But anyway, yeah, it's happening right at the, right around the same time. Yep. Uh, Unwin, even if Unwin didn't do it himself, he had perhaps the means. You see, the king's guard that was outside of her of Jehera's door the night of her death was none other than you guessed it, Mervyn Flowers, uh, Unwin's bastard brother, who we saw had been appointed by Unwin to the king's guard. He was described as a leal man who did as he was told. Um, but even Mushroom questions whether Mervyn could have stooped to murder a child. But who knows? Maybe he stood aside to let someone else do it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, but uh... I don't know. I I tend to think it's suicide, and. Uh... Really? I, well, I mean, I know this isn't modern-day U.S. we're reading about, but did you know that suicide... This is getting it heavy. Uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death in children aged 10 to 14 in the U.S. Did you know that? I did know that. It's crazy. I did know that. It's and hard. You know, you look at this child that can barely separate, you know, probably reality from 
history and dreams and stuff. I mean, she's she's seen a lot as well and kind of alone a bit in the world. I, yeah, it, so maybe if she did leave a it simple would not life. Me. Yeah. But she did leave a very simple life, but who knows what kind of demons, you know, there were, right. you know, we had the whole blood and cheese thing that she was there for. And she was very young she was. when that happened. But, you know, who knows what's what's there? I mean, I think she was six. I mean, she, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I tend to I, I, I'm going I'm going with the conspiracy theorists. I think. uh uh, Unwin's already thinking of getting Muriel, his daughter, in there. Might be, yeah. That's a, a good transition to the next little bit here, because he doesn't wait long, does he? He sure doesn't. So Unwin Peak gives Aegon and the, the realm a whopping seven days to mourn Jaehaera's death before he informs Aegon that he must remarry. But don't you worry about it, Aegon. I got everything under control. You don't have to lift a finger. You see, I got a daughter. She's your age. She's lovely. She's sweet. She's smart. You know, she's she's probably fertile, just like her mom was. What if I do not like her? Aegon said. Mm -hmm. You don't need to like her. Lord Peak replies, you only need to wed her, bed her, and father a son on her. This is a father talking about his daughter, mm. by the way. Infamously, he adds, your grace does not like turnips, right? But when your cooks prepare them, you eat you. you eat. Oh. Let me start that over again. You eat you. Your grace does not like turnips, but when your cooks prepare them, you eat them. Do you not? <laughs> In my All experience, right. probably not. Uh not if they're anything like my no, kids. I don't. <laughs> I do not eat them. And, yeah. Or yeah, or me and, myself. And this, we're talking turnips. This poor girl, Muriel is her name. Uh, Muriel, however you want to pronounce yeah. it. The realm starts calling her Lady Turnips. Yes. I mean, just you're a dick, dude. Unwin, you are such a dick. Yeah, Unwin's got an interesting family history. I think he's had seven kids, but this is the All only of them one that's alive, Muriel. Um, right. so, you know, he's trying, I guess if you want to look at it in a positive light, he's trying to do his best buyer question mark. Maybe, I don't know. He's trying to do the best for house peak is what he's trying to do. But this very much reminds me of Allison to the high towers. Absolutely. Bringing, bringing Allison in to, you know, care for Viserys in his, in his waning days. Um, mm -hmm. and, or sorry to care for, uh, not Viserys, to care for uh, Jaehaerys. Jaehaerys in his waning mm -hmm. days, and and then uh, seducing, if you will, Viserys. But yeah. the, but but the peaks they don't know high towers, right? They're worse than the high towers, even way worse. But yes, you're right. This whole thing of dads using their daughters as pawns and stuff is not unheard of yeah. in Westeros. Yeah. So when this gets out that the Hand of the King had just decided who the the new queen would be, and that queen happened to be his daughter, uh, you can imagine that the public relations fallout was disastrous. <laughs> Wait just a goddamn minute. <laughs> Whoa. You are going to do this. We are going to pump some serious breaks here. Yeah. You have responses from houses all over. Rowan. Mooton, 
Aaron, who are all on the Regency, uh, Tully, Blackwood, Cregan Stark, all expressing varying degrees of outrage along with others. And this whole, what about our daughter yeah. campaign begins in the realm. What about my cousin? Lannister I have a sister. appeals. I have a daughter yeah, that likes to Baratheon press wildflowers. <laughs> Manderly. Um, Lady Samantha. Samantha Tarly. Of, uh, over there in Old Town. Offers her sister and her sister-in-law. <laughs> this is such a great thing to say about your sister-in-law. Very beautiful. Lazy and somewhat stupid, truth be told. Though some men like seem to like that in a wife. Uh, and then appends to this list of, a list of 31 additional maidens from the Reach that uh, should be considered for marriage. So Peek knows he has to at least give the appearance of fairness. So he announces that on Maiden's Day, they are going to throw a ball. There's going to be a Cinderella to a T, right? We're going to throw a ball. Eligible, all the eligible maidens in the kingdom can come and present themselves to the king, and then King Aegon will select his bride. Uh, <clears throat> the quote was, so that his grace may choose the one best suited to share his life and love. Accompanied by a mustache twirl, because guess what? Unwin's got a plan for that. You betcha. So he can't, he can't just outright marry Muriel to Aegon. But you know what he can do? You know what? I Stack miss my deck. daughter. Stack the deck. I miss my. I just miss her, sweetheart. Can you send her to King's Landing? I just really need to see my daughter. He brings Muriel to King's Landing. A full three moons before the ball to uh, befriend and beguile. Uh, Unwin Peak makes sure that she spends parts of at least every day with the king. And you know what? For the king, his grace did not seem averse to her. He's a minder. Uh, Mushroom said that. Um, he doesn't describe her as a stun stunning beauty, but Aegon... Um, certainly didn't seem to hate her he even gave her one of jahara's old dolls right unwin the matchmaker uh, so matchmaker matchmaker and then that. he missed his calling it, is all i'm saying he really did you know he's trying so hard to be hand of the king and really he's just not in his lane yeah well He's trying to do his he's he's going the distance even to make sure that Muriel and Aegon in together um end up together. This incredible um smear campaign uh opens up in the in the realm, bashing on every one of these every one of these eligible maidens, especially the popular ones. Um you know, he had the whole thing about Cassandra Baratheon pushing Jahara out the window. Uh, other women were accused of being alcoholics, wanton, that they had deformities. One was said to have had six nipples, um, that they were homosexual. Uh, and Mushroom even admits that he had been paid to pass these rumors along to Aegon. So obviously the idea is to build up Marielle in um, – in Aegon's eyes by tearing all of these other women down. It's a classic Unwin Peak tactic. He does it with everybody. Uh, step on others to get ahead. Then we had, but not to be stopped there, 
he a man is sent to be caught in bed with one Tashara Lannister, who is one of these eligible ladies. Um, you had another one, a Penrose gal whose nose was slit open. A Stokeworth girl was pushed down the stairs. Um, you had others that were drowned while out just boating. Um, it's not a safe time to be a maiden in Westeros. No. I mean, there are, I mean, it's kind of fun. I mean, not funny, but a little bit funny. I mean, there are, there are over a thousand women coming to this thing. A thousand. And Unwin's trying to knock them off one at a time. <laughs> like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's going to work. Just a, it's one less girl there. One less girl there. Yeah. Okay. Um, the ball itself finally arrives. He does not succeed in killing every single one of them, unfortunately for him. He, he, even limiting the age of the maidens to 30 and under, he still gets, like you said, a thousand eligible maidens show up, even from across the sea. Pentos sends a, a gal, Tyrosh, Mir, Lys, they all send, uh, ladies to vie for King Aegon's, the heart throbs heart. And what happened is Aegon's seated on the Iron Throne, and it's not even really a ball. There's no dancing or anything. It's yeah. basically all these women packed into into the throne room, and they all line up, and they just parade past him one by one. And you can imagine Aegon's interest level. Uh, it said that by the time the tenth girl was presented, the king had doubtless forgotten the first five and even when some of them tried to, like, say something to Aegon, he would only nod at them. He would nod to, like, acknowledge that he saw them, and then off they went. Off they went. And all these girls are just singing Vertical Horizon. I'm everything you want. I'm everything you need. I'm everything inside of you that you wish you could be. I mean nothing to you, and you don't, and I don't know why. Except right. they have to sing a lot faster than that, because because they must get about ten seconds. I mean, because the line <laughs> has got to go. Is that this is the biggest bait and switch I've almost ever read? Can you imagine Matt gathering your family retainers, everything of value that you have, coaching your daughter, getting your getting her meager little hopes up, and traveling across the continent to come to this thing, and what she gets is a ten second spin. If that, even. I mean, you yeah. would be furious. This is doesn't such... get to talk to him. It's He's up on the Iron Throne. So awful. Did did you watch mm -hmm. uh, did you watch any of the Fire Festival documentaries or anything on Netflix? Yes. Oh my gosh. They're like, showing up to the 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 soaked tents. Yes. That's that's what this reminds me sandwiches. of. If you guys yeah. haven't watched on Netflix, uh, there's a documentary about the fire. I can't remember what it's called. I just look up Fire Festival. I think sure it will show up. I think it might just be called Fire. It F -Y -R -E. might be. Yeah. But it, it is it is a fascinating look at fascinating. a failed a failed music yeah. festival and how it failed and the leadership and why and everything. But it, these tons of people showed up for this thing, and they must have felt about as bad as these girls because they're just duped. Ugh. Yep. But uh, no I doesn't did, care. I did do some math. If each girl got okay. 30 seconds, so including announcement, walking up, uh, that's 8.333, repeating, of course, hours of time for these thousand girls. And see, I almost see it as like a, almost like a constant parade. They're just slowly walking, and 
they stop for like three seconds or something. But still, eight hours for 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that they announced them and that they got to like walk up by themselves and turn. Because some of them did stop and like say something to them and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. maybe it's less than 30. Anyway. I don't think so. But you're right. Unwin's strategy, because he, he doesn't care. No. Right? He's true. doing all of this just so that he can get Marielle in there. He places her, you know, late, kind of late. He, he doesn't want to put her at the front of the line, but not, you know, too far back. Uh, so he, he has to come through, like, late in the first hour, enough to still be memorable, while Aegon's still kind of fresh. She's not tired yet. And it goes okay, right? She brings her doll that Aegon had given her and everything. Um, and Unwin's feeling pretty good about his chances. As I mean, as Aegon goes, he flirted with her. I mean, like he said, a sent he said like two things to her. <laughs> yeah, that's flirting for him. I mean, he he doesn't show interest in anything. So, he, so Unwin's confidence nice. had to be soaring. Yeah, yeah, and that he was glad she likes her doll. Yes. Yeah, things are going well, but then. What happens towards the, at the tail end of the ball? The throne room doors fly open. I'm two stunning beauties appear, mounted on chargers, and they march on their chargers right up to the throne. Was it Marston Waters who tried to stop him? The Kingsguard so. guy, or whatever, and down here. I think it was Waters. Yeah. Whips him across the face. Get out of my way. Because who is it? Reyna and Bela Targaryen. Unwin's favorite twins. They march up to the throne saying, Brother, if it please you, we have brought your new queen. And they present the most stunning little six-year-old anyone's ever seen. Daenerys Valerion. Daenera Valerion, who is she? Now, she's the daughter of one Darren Valerion, who is a great nephew of Corlys. He was one of those guys that contested Alan's claim uh, to be the head of House Valerion, but then he, Darren was one that backed down when it was rejected by Tyland. He took it in stride, and I'm glad he did. Um, and then a, a lady, lady named Hazel Hart. Now, Hazel died of winter fever. Darren was actually captain of uh, one of those three ships that Alan lost in the Stepstones. That's right. So he died as well. Daenerys left a, an orphan. Um, only six years old, like I said, but it's she's described as so beautiful that she took the breath away. Silver hair, blue eyes. I love this line. When she smiled, the singers in the galley rejoiced, for they knew that here at last was a maid worthy of a song. A lovely line. It's so a lovely poetic. Line. I love it. It's a. It's uh, a. The, it, the whole concept is creepy to me, but it's a lovely line. Right. Let's talk about that. So she's six years old. Yeah. And people are just enchanted by her beauty. My son is six years old. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I like went it. on I, a it's... field trip with him towards the end of the school year and yeah, interacting with other six-year-olds and six-year-olds a six-year-old. Yeah. 
but apparently this one was was special. And even Aegon, who had not spoken apparently to any of the other suitors except for Marielle, speaks up to her when she's presented, saying, Thank you for coming, my lady. You look very pretty. Aw. Um, so there's there's only like a handful of girls left in line at that point. They parade the rest of them through just because. And then uh, Aegon announces his decision. He lets Game on Pale Hair, his little buddy, announce it, that his new queen will be, you guessed it, Daenerys Valerion. I have a joke for you, Yay! Matt. Okay. You ready? Yep. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Targaryen twins. <laughs> Interrupting Move Targaryen over, twins. Move yeah. over, cattle. This is our war, Daenerys, the future queen. Move over. Oh, that's on that one alien show. It's a kid show. Alien show? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's called Home. That's what it's called. They do the interrupting cow joke. Yeah, yeah my kids love that joke. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they do, and I bet you do as well. Uh, Unwin Peak, as you can imagine, is pissed. He unwon, as I call it. Mm-hmm. That, I didn't think about that. That's a word of the day. Word, word of the day. day. Matt has a word of the day, and that word is unwon. <laughs> word of the day. Or un, to unwin, which is, I didn't even think of an official definition. It's where you do everything in your power to set things up so that you can coast to an easy victory and then you lose anyway. Unwon. Nicely done. So, uh, Daenerys, he's, he's ticked. The whole point of this was to find him a wife that could bear him children. Daenerys is six years old. They wouldn't be able to have kids for years. He demands that the Regency reject Aegon's choice. And this Regency, who'd seemed to let Unwin do almost whatever he wanted to do, they put their foot down on this one. No! And they say no. No, no, no. Yeah. And the wedding happens. Aegon the Third is married to Daenerys Valerion. Um, it is irksome, though. Like, they had a maximum age. Why didn't he at least put a minimum age of, like, 12 or something, right? Like, if there is a, if they do want to have kids, then. It's the whole point soon. of this thing. And it would have. That's on him. Like, and it would have. That's on him. It's totally on him. All this planning, all these smear campaigns and killing people and boating accidents, and you can't just think of putting it a minimum age in? Yep. Yep. Come on, man. It also helps his cause of getting his daughter, who would be old enough. Ugh. And you wouldn't be there for eight hours. Yes. You, you, you thin the herd a little bit, as it were, oh, well done. to go along with our cattle thing. Hey, yeah, that was bad. Sorry. Just going good. for the cattle analogy. All right. <sighs> that's that's it. So um, Aegon's married. Aegon's again. married again. He's uh he's what twelve thirteen at this point. He's twelve, I think. Twelve and uh, already onto his second wife. Yeah. So. Yes. All right. Shall Good we move on. on to the the voyage of Alan Oakenfist? Please, yes. All right. I got a little a little reading for you. 
So much of history tells of the deeds of kings and queens, high lords, noble knights, holy septons, and wise maesters, that it is easy to forget the common folk who shared these times with the great and the mighty. Yet from time to time, some ordinary man or woman, blessed with neither birth nor wealth, nor wit nor wisdom nor skill at arms, will somehow rise up, and by some simple act or whispered word, change the destiny of kingdoms. So mm. it was on Fair Isle in that fateful year of 133 AC. Hmm. We'll get there. So, now we get a little departure from all the killings on in King's Landing. It's almost like a song of yeah. ice and fire, guys. Now we get a chapter <laughs> somewhere else. That's true. <laughs> so, first of all, uh, how badly do you want to read some of these uh, memoirs that are written about Alan Oakenfist's journeys? Because there are a couple, I guess written out there. Oh my gosh. I almost wondered if like the reason George devoted this whole chapter to him and stuff was to leave the option open for a, one of the many Game of Thrones spin-offs mm. to be just about Alan Oakenfist. It's awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. It seems like well, I guess you'd have the stops in between and stuff. It seems like life on a boat would be a hard thing to film a whole right. show on. But, you know, mm -hmm. he stops in a lot of places. Anyway, um, let's get to it. So, Alan has been tasked with putting an end to the Greyjoy menace. But to get there, he's got to return to the scene of his glory, the Stepstones. Now, they're primarily now controlled by Recalio, because remember, Bravosi, the Bravosi dropped out. Um, you know, Tyrosh is still probably involved somewhere, but basically it looks like is running the show. Um, Recalio has kind of taken control in the confusion basically seized them so the ways are now closed either via boom or ship carcasses blocking the way or his own ships kind of manning the passes alan's not going to be able to slip his host through like he hoped so you'd have to either attack or treat with the mysterious <laughs> recalio rindu now who is this guy we've talked about him a little bit before um daemon uh faced off against him a little bit uh i think before right um, yeah he was kind of running he's... the stepstones for a while go ahead He's just freaking Johnny Depp. That's all he is. A little bit. He's he's an Pirates of the dude. Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of tough not to imagine that. Uh -huh. um, the Archon of Tyrosh calls him Queen Recalio. A Tyroshi rogue pirate, pirate, Rindun is revered by thieves, pirates, whores, and drunkards. But those of kind of more elevated blood pretty much loathe him. He was mm -hmm. colorful and strange. He bathed himself in scents and dyes. He spoke like a gutter rat, but he spoke so many versions of languages that it suggested he was actually well-educated. So he had a filthy mouth, but he knew it in a lot of languages. He was hunchbacked and walked with a little bit of a hitch, and he was tall. He was six and a half feet tall. He fought with double long swords and well. He fought well, and he was a man that wanted everything. He was religious, but not consistently favoring one religion. He would roll the bones to like pick which random one. He would, which god he was gonna he was gonna honor in battle pray to yeah, a, yeah. a weird dude but but when he when he picked one he honored them as if he believed in them it's very strange he freed slaves regularly gave gifts to his men freely never claimed more of his share of of the spoils he was yeah gentle. i love that about him the equal yeah. share thing yeah yeah well and he's he's got many wives he's gentle with them and nice sometimes he asks them to beat him though um <laughs> sometimes he dresses in women's clothing I don't know, Matt. This guy's a character. What What do you think? I love him. He sounds pretty fun. Like that. 
but yeah, but it is just one of those things that oh, it's like the it's like the old love songs where you you paint them as uh, as having these polar opposite qualities and yeah. call it a fleshed out character, right? What's the Billy Joel song? She's frequently kind and she's suddenly, suddenly cruel. cruel. Yeah. She can do as she pleases. She's nobody's fool. She'll take what you give her as long as it's free. You know, she cuts and... like a knife, but it's what? No, not cuts like a knife. What is it? Um, how's that end? She's always a woman uh, to me. Yep, it's a anyway. song. Anyway, but you know what it's I one mean. Of my favorite ones. Yeah, I know what you he mean. He loved pregnant women, but he hated children. Yes, loved kittens, but hated cats. Yeah, pe- <laughs> yeah. People love people love these kind of contradictions, right? Right. It makes yeah. it fun and plays with our minds. Mm-hmm. It's also the kind of fun where you don't like you love reading about these people, but hanging out with them is exhausting because you never know what to expect. You can only handle it for so long, you know. Right. Yeah. Like it's fun, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. There's a what's it? There's a. Uh, how I Met Your Mother, there's one of these guys that, uh, I think they call him Gandalf, maybe? The hmm. a character that comes into town, and when he comes in, they get all excited because it's always a crazy night. But, like, they can never handle it for very long. Kind of like hanging out with Ricalio. Anyway, so this is, <laughs> this is the dude. Care- Go ahead. Carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding. That's the Billy That's Joel line. It. Sorry. Something. <laughs> I, I try to bring Brian Adams in there. Cuts like a knife! But it feels so right. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yep. You like that? Mm-hmm. I got loads more for you, Matt, if you want it. Just stick oh around my after gosh. I'll sing to you. Uh, so, so this is the guy that he's got to treat with. Imagine right, trying to treat with this guy. So he's, I mean, it's not, treating with Ricalio the way he describes it sounds more like kind of passing a coolness factor test. Like you're going on road rules. Remember the show Road Rules? Yeah, you just got to hang. You, you just got to show you can hang. Yeah, you just got to hang out and prove yourself to the dick leader guy who that you have to admit is way better than you, even though he's a dick. You just got to, like, get his buy-in, right, that you can be on the mm-hmm. cast. It's kind of weird. Uh, he was treated as a friend sometimes, and other times he was threatened with death. He was showered with gifts one day and forced to kill prisoners on the next. He was, And he was kept there in total for a couple weeks. But in the end, Rendoon let him go as a friend. He wanted three ships weird th- no it's a weird number if you ask me three uh just three i'll just take he had to know there was more yeah it's like he guessed is like three well, i don't know um he wanted an alliance written on sheepskin and signed in blood and he uh-huh. wanted a kiss and alan apparently knew you know, after staying there those two weeks when he had room to fight back on these terms because he gave him the three shittiest ships he had he gave him an alliance written on parchment in ink, and he gave the promise of a kiss from his wife if Rindu never came to visit a Driftmark. Oh, so, don't do that, buddy. That's so, the most dangerous thing yeah. you promised. Yeah. <laughs> this is a man with many wives. Don't tempt your wife. Maybe he's got something going on that works. Oh, I just I just never my promise my wife's not gonna do something without talking oh, to her first. But yeah. That too. Yeah. That too. I mean in general, you shouldn't make promises for others. Come on, man. That's, yeah. That's, the, the, this, however, is a serious fire. This is a prelude to much bigger promises that Alan is certainly willing <laughs> really to give away. Is. Yes, we'll it to. is. You just wait. 
So anyway, you know that's a two week a two week delay on on his way toward uh, you know deliverance of to the Greyjoy mischief, uh, but he gets delayed other places too. In Dorne, you know, with long sea voyages, you got to stop for water and food and stuff to replenish. The yep. Dornish are weird though; they're not part of the kingdom, like they're not really allies. They don't really know what to expect, but they get there, and there's a young frisky princess, Aleandra Martell, who's in charge, and much like Ricalio, she takes a liking to Alan. He's got some charisma. Um, he, he's likable. Yeah. It, it's alluded to that maybe he provided some sexual services for her. Some favors. favors? Maybe, maybe he just charmed her. But whatever the case, he got food and water stores and maps that told them of the danger areas to avoid in the waters off the coast of Dorne and was on his way after a reasonable yeah. delay. Uh, Must be him. some serious favors. Yeah. To, to get those maps. Right. Yeah. I think we should talk about that for a little bit. Go for it. I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'd love to hear more if you have more information, Matt. I, I or did you just want I to mean, turn it into one of those podcasts? I just was, I was just going to turn on the Davos After Dark music and <laughs> <laughs> let people just imagine for a while. Uh, so he also stops in Old Town. He's welcomed there by Lord Lionel. Uh, mm-hmm. He treats Alan treats Lady Sam with respect and courtesy. And basically, he and Lionel, who were kind of of an age together, I think, uh, become buds. They're bros, man. Yeah. So, this dude, he's got it. So here's the count. Pirate, scoundrel, crossdresser, friend. 18-year-old Check. nubile Dornish princess, infatuated. Check. Rival young lord with a blood grievance to bear against you and yours, bosom buddies. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, remember, the High Towers and the Valerions were at each other's throats in the dance. And... That's bygones, I guess. So the roll, the Oaken Fist is rolling nat twenties on his charisma checks. Is basically what this what this adds up to. Uh, he also gets added to the fleet. Uh, he made so good an impression that Lionel gives him twenty ships from his his own fleet and promises another thirty from the Red Wines. Um, he stays there for a bit, relishing in the friendships and uh, takes advantage of the seafaring charts and maps and books about ship construction and everything. He goes to the starry. See, that's one thing I blessed. really like about him was that. Yes. He wasn't just talk. No, yeah, like, he's he interested. Was... He's yeah. He wants to be a sailor. He wants to be an adventurer. He he's he's serious about this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys when they've got that charisma, they rely solely yes. on that charisma. Yeah. And Alan was apparently not that way. He was motivated and studious and Yes. Yeah, there and 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 also, you know, he should be in a rush a little bit, but he's not. <laughs> there, there's something to be said, honestly, for those that know like when to stop and smell the roses. Like, uh-huh. I'm here. Oh my God, look at this city. I've never been here. It's amazing. These cobblestone streets, the fog in the morning, this library with all of this information, all these interesting people. You know what? Let's chill out for a little bit and let's and hang take this in. You know, let's hang. It's a little bit different than hanging with Ricalio for two weeks, but. You know, maybe he probably not as much too. mud wrestling <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So let's hope not. Um, but in the end, he's still a young boy and 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 rash. And he, he won't wait for the red ones to show up, so he sails north. And then uh, we come to uh, kind of the the section of the chapter that I read above. Dalton Greyjoy is ready. He's got the biggest battle of his yeah. life coming, and so am I. We're all ready. We're we're we've yeah. been we've been edging toward this for a while. Uh, 
in a way, you know, Alan and Dalton are probably both a little excited to test their mm-hmm. metal against another true steel, right? Yeah. But despite all this preparation, hundreds of ships in various locations ready ready to attack, you know, in a coordinated way, it is it is not meant to be. Because of a woman named Tess. Tess. All we know about her Tess. is her name, really. Uh, yeah. We now have a commoner rising to the occasion and changing the stars for many. Tess is one of 22 salt wives of Dalton Greyjoy. She murders him with his own dagger, kind of the night before this is all supposed to go down, as he's sleeping. She did it for unknown reasons, and she delivered Alan Alan Valerian to victory he was seeking since he left, without even ramming a ship. Mm-hmm. The you know the nature of the Iron Blood culture is such that this abandonment was going to happen quickly from this cause, right? Um, he th- they they follow a man, not a cause, right? And yep. And when Dalton was killed, the whole thing kind of ended. They start you know sliding away into the mist. There's no viable heir to report to, right? And a power struggle for the Iron Islands is imminent, and so the fleet flees, and. So Alan arrives to nothing, no battle, no foe, you know, blue balls, right? Like, yep. Like, okay. Yeah, he was on Fair Isle, and the 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 people who were still there rose up in rebellion when they found out Dalton was gone, and you know, yeah, took they, everything back. They did all the work. I mean, he he did he literally showed mm-hmm. up and had to do nothing. Right. So he had something. I think. <laughs> Go ahead. And and, and Tess, uh, just to make sure I got this right, she. After she slit his throat, she threw herself from the tower for that she was in, right? She did, for whatever yes. reason. Yeah, sorry, I omitted that. Yeah, she did. Killed, killed herself. So that's why we don't get the whole the story of why. Yeah. Um, he sounded like a real character though, so it could have just been that. But... Dalton, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean he's a piece of work. Uh, Classic Greyjoy. Yeah. So the Oaken Fist heads home. He takes the fleet. Um, you know, the, the Westmen are glad to have him. He arrives to Bells and such, but he's like, I'm, uh, I, this is just, I'm annoyed. <laughs> I came all this way for nothing. And so he's going to go back. This sucks. He, Joanna Lannister's even like, let's go attack the yes, Iron Islands. This yeah. is a great time to do it. Yeah. She even advocates selling all the Ironborn women and children into slavery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she later does have some success in this, but spoilers. But... She hates them with good reason, mm-hmm. I suppose. But he he does leave a third of the fleet under the command of Leo Costain from from uh, Old Town until mm-hmm. such time as the Lannisters can kind of rebuild their fleet and and ready themselves to def- to defend themselves. So he doesn't you I... know completely leave them in a lurch, but he's he's not going to go wage war on the Iron Islands. He's like, no, not what I was asked to do. Mm-hmm. Um. There's not much to say about the journey home, really. Um, you know, the, the red wines finally come limping up the coast. Um, you Any know. idea why they took so long, Skid? Is it just because no, they're red wines? It's a little weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a little weird. I, I didn't I didn't really put much thought into that. I don't remember how they were aligned for the dance. Maybe they just don't really like the Valerians. Think them uppity with their own fleet. I don't know. I don't really know. Yeah. Could be just some kind of, you know, general hostility about a competitor of the seas. I don't know. Mm, interesting. Um, 
Anyway, they they make nice. They host him at the Arbor for a bit, and they I'm sure they drank wine right. and shit and then had a good time. But um, yeah, so the the only thing that happens that's important on the way back uh, is that they stop in Dorne again, of course. Mm-hmm. And on the same day as the Maiden's Day feast, the same day Aegon was sitting bored through hundreds of young girls trying to win his favor, Alan was approached by a man named Drazenko Roger. That told him a secret Roger. that changed Alan's course home as well as the course of Westerosi history. And they mm. must need sail for lease before they go home. But wait, he's not what why would he need to go to lease? Some What's something Drazenko Roger said says he needs to go hmm. to lease. I'll leave that to you. Hmm. How interesting. Except I won't because I have a quote. Oh yeah. You know, first of all, it's a shame we don't have more Valerians in the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire story proper. Totally. Yeah, there's. Um, I think there's a young, a young lord now. Yeah, he's just a he's just a kiddo. And and Waters, Arain Waters, is is technically a, a bastard Valerian. Um, yeah, I wonder if like this focus on him and fire on them and fire and blood is like a precursor to more that maybe he's gonna do. At yeah. sea, right? It it would be cool. It would be a, a really cool way to use Corliss and Alan kind of as a as a preview to to something that that Arain's going to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some exploits in the Stepstones, or there's a lot of people that theorize right that he is left, right, and t- taken the Iron Fleet and is do- going to do something else. Not the Iron Fleet, can the fleet from King's Landing and going and doing his own thing with it, right? Yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah, I don't think we know exactly. Like he he's the he's he's the group that took the fleet to Dragonstone to lead that assault, right? Um where uh, Loras was was uh you know, mutilated, burned. Well, yes, and then but later when Cersei's in jail, um she's told it's just told that Lord Waters had or that Arain had fled the capital. He left oh. with uh, with with their ships oh, okay. after she'd been arrested. So he gone. So it's not much of a theory. It's pretty much known. He did. He's doing something. We just don't know what. We don't know exactly what. And then in the one of the Winds of Winter Arianne chapters, it's yeah, it's got to be the Arianne chapter. Yeah. Um, they talk about how that there was a guy in this a new pirate king in the Stepstones. Uh, and you can kind of reasonably assume that that's our reign yeah. by the description of the warships that he has and stuff like that. Yeah. Our reign, Rindun. You got it. All right. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, though. Hopefully it's it's kind of a precursor to some sort of Valerian strength at sea tail in Song of Ice and Fire. We'll see. Honestly... There's not enough time for George to deal with that thread, but maybe it'll be like a footnote. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, the final section here, Unwin's fall and a brother returns. Down deep, the broken king felt himself unworthy to sit the Iron Throne. He had not been able to save his brother, his mother, or his little queen from grisly deaths. How could he presume to save a kingdom? Yeah, how could he? How could he? But you know, right now, Things are 
are going okay, at least in the Red Keep. It says hope and good feeling reigned over the Red Keep as the new year dawned. This is year 134. Um, she's her, her little six-year-old presence is doing everybody good, not the least of which is King Aegon. Um, she did much, it says, to lighten his gloom. He was seen more at court. He even left the castle with her once in a while to show her around. He showed more interest in his studies. He was more invested than before in uh, in the yard in his training there. He even sometimes would invite Mushroom to provide entertainment during dinner because he loved hearing Daenera laugh. Isn't that sweet? It's lovely. Um. You know, aside from just the romantic stuff, which obviously we don't think is there yet, 13-year-old and 6-year-old, but uh, just just she had she had something about her, something about her um, that was just magnetic and joyful and sunshiny, and it was, it was good for the realm, good for the king. It's not, it's he, not hard to imagine that. I mean, right. my kids are that way sometimes. I, I look at them and I'm just like filled with joy. With just right. like their essence and the way mm-hmm. they see the world and they'll laugh and how funny they think a fart is. I mean, like just the dumbest little stuff can just light up an adult, right? So it's not that stunning. There's nothing better than coming home to something like that, yeah. right? After a long day of work with a bunch of ridiculous adults yeah, and uh, and just basking in the youth, in yes. the innocence of youth. That's it's lovely, yeah. He, he even began to attend small council meetings, and the small council, most of them, seemed to like it. Like, this is cool. The king's, you know, showing some initiative. He wants to be here. He's asking questions. Except, of course, who doesn't like it? They, they note that Marston Waters doesn't like it, but especially Lord Peak. He hates it. Um, so this uh, attending council actually doesn't last long, uh, primarily, at, well— only because of the bullying, is what I'll call it, of Unwind Peak. Whenever Aegon uh, made so bold as to even ask a question, uh, Munkin tells us, the Hand would bristle and accuse him of wasting the Council's time or inform him that such weighty matters were beyond the understanding of a child. So, as you can imagine, Aegon began to absent himself from the meetings as before. Um, he's a kicked dog, and kicked dogs eventually just retreat back into their corners. It's tragic. It's tragic. It is freaking no, heartbreaking, the, and it makes no me one, hate Onion so much. Yes. No one's looking out for this kid. Right, it's, and... Like, where remember, are Bela and Reyna? Somebody, somebody, like... I don't know. And and the region, the hand is beholden to the regency. Yeah, they don't. They clearly don't And yet don't they, care. they yeah. still don't do anything. It's ridiculous. Anyways, um, let's see, where were we? Uh, Unwin is just not a happy guy. Sour and suspicious by nature, he's described as. Um, I mentioned that I had kind of compared him and Alan, and maybe this is a good time to talk about it. You want to talk a little bit about Alan and Unwin? Let's do it, man. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but... I don't know. They're interesting guys to compare and contrast, I think. Yeah. You know, both were pretty driven guys, 
But as we talked about, I feel like being a good leader requires more than just drive. Like there needs to be some sort of charisma or demonstrative, like, I don't know, passion to some degree that people latch on to, right? Alan had that. Unwin did not at all, right? He, yeah, he had something. He had something that didn't disgust people enough to be like no when he wanted to be hand or when he you wanted can't to be have regent. this. Yeah, I mean he had he had something. I mean, not to get political, but we have leaders mm-hmm. in this country that have gotten to where they are despite being really unlikable people, just in general. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I thought of that person too. And mm-hmm. you know, like they have something. Like as much as I personally dislike this person, they have something about them that is driving enough to people that they're like yeah all right i'm okay with it i'm behind yeah and i can get behind that guy and mm-hmm. unwin has somehow bullied his way to the top in a way that people are okay with and i think i think though not to be like a prognosticator of our real future but things catch up to those people when that charisma yes. you're talking about it's mm-hmm. realized that they don't have what it really takes to lead and right yeah yeah, I think it's what most leaders fear, right? Is is you know, do I really have it or do I just think I have it? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's it matters a little bit where that where and how that charisma is directed and used, right? Yeah. Like what passion and drive Unwin did have was in the end very selfish. It was about getting he and his own to the top. He was focused on that end goal and was more than willing Man, this sounds familiar, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean... More than willing <laughs> to step on others to get there. We've seen it totally demonstrated throughout all these chapters. He's willing to step all over poor little Aegon to get there. He's willing to step on any of those little lady suitors that he can to get what he wants. He's able to step on... He's willing to step on anyone on the small council or the regency or or, or the Targaryen twins. Anyone. Alan Valerion to get to the top. Right. Alan's motivations are a bit self-serving as well. Alan Valerian, right? Be honest. He wanted to prove that he was more than just some bastard Valerian, that his blood, you know, automatically disqualified him from being a successful, (laughs) like good human being. He he isn't a saint either, though. I mean, he's likely cheating on his wife. You know, I I, I mean, yeah, totally. Uh huh. Which we see that in other historical charismatic yep. figures as yep. well, right? Yep. Right? What I like about him, though, is that his drive to prove himself is balanced with, like, just this lust for the – for women, for <laughs> lust, but also just for adventure and for the unknown. And where, like, Unwin was just focused on the end goal of getting to the top – Alan seemed to find like joy in the journey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Joy and fulfillment in the moment. He enjoyed growing. He enjoyed just building relationships with people. He, he's also, I think, like one of the things that's I would identify that's different about them is like Unwin is scheming to get every inch. Alan yep. feels like he's just kind of taking what comes to he's him. Just going. Yeah. Joy in the journey. Yeah. And what's you know, next? Taking it as it Let's comes. Let's do it. And using his yeah. his gifts and his passion to 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 make the best of whatever comes 
and uh-huh. those people that scheme and plan and try to make things happen their own way, it just, you know, it doesn't read well. Yeah, he didn't view at least what we see here. Maybe he did a little bit, but with Unwin, it gets very clear that every person in front of Unwin or around Unwin is a potential obstacle or a hurdle that he has to get over. I've got to get over this person on my way to the top. Yeah. Right. And Alan, it doesn't really seem that way. It's like, I'm going to go on this adventure with or without you. If you're in your way in, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Lord Hightower, Samantha, all these people that he so easily makes friends with. If you're not in like, Oh, well, bye Felicia. Like, yeah, no big deal. Um, and I think like that enthusiasm, adventurousness, perpetual adventurousness, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, is what kind of drew to drew others to him for right or for wrong. And Unwin's just set up to be like the exact opposite. Yeah. Not to defend Unwin because, you know, he's hashtag the worst. The worst. Mm-hmm. Um, John. John Ralphio. <laughs> uh, but like he also doesn't have the luxury of it it's probably the wrong word, but the luxury of adventure. He's not out yeah. there having fun and going on this journey and learning lots about places. He's in King's Landing in this sty of a city, governing day in, day out. And you know what? It is the bed he made for himself, so he's gotta lie in it, but and maybe his personality wouldn't have allowed him to do the adventure thing anyway. But they're just they're mm-hmm. in very different spots. In addition, and different to people different are people. built different ways. Yeah. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Anyways, let's circle back then to uh, okay. to the story here. Uh, unless you have anything else on Unwin and Alan. No, I think it was a good dive. I liked it. Yeah, it's fun to compare and contrast the two. Uh, Unwin, sour, suspicious by nature. You know, he'd been humiliated at the Maiden's Day Ball because he wasn't hiding anything from anyone with any sense of a brain between their ears. Everyone knew, I think, what Unwin Peak was doing. Anyone who knew anything about Unwin Peak knew what he was doing, I think. Um, and so because of this, he... Because of what happened at the Maiden's Day Ball, his hatred for Bela and Reina just soared to new heights. He was convinced both of them were contriving against him and against Dagon. Um, they wanted to, you know, as he told his followers, they wanted to make sure Bela's child, she's pregnant right now with Alan's child, would take the throne. And he told his his followers that if Bela had a boy, oh boy, Aegon's going to be assassinated. Aegon's not going to live long. Um, they're going to knock him off right quick and put Bela's son on the throne. So, uh, thankfully for Alan, Bela does give birth, and she has a little girl Yay. who she names Laina. Um, and uh, at this time, also, <clears throat> some of Alan Valerion's ships return to King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And they have a message from Alan saying that he had secured a treasure beyond price. Now, 
as we talked about Unwin always scheming and stuff, you can imagine how stressful his life might be. Yes. When he hears about this, his blood pressure must have just gone through the roof. He is so effing jealous of Alan, and he just he can't stop thinking about what this treasure beyond price might be. You know, he just has to know what it is. Uh, and everyone and, else is excited too. And not only that, but like given what Alan just did with Bravos and starting the war and you know it's guess who's paying the price it's not Alan paying the price so he has to no, worry no, about it it is it's like he's <laughs> legitimately in addition to being jealous he's legitimately concerned about the fact that this guy's out there what did he young do gunning. this time <laughs> yeah what has he done to the kingdom net right here good uh -huh. job with the gray joys get the fuck back home like, what are you yep. doing? So it's not crazy, I think, that he's bothered by this. Oh, yeah, it certainly isn't. It's totally within his personality, and it's totally within his prerogative, I think, after following what Alan's done. Um, Aegon goes down to actually meet um, Alan at the docks, much to Unwin's dismay. He wanted, of course, Aegon to just stay hidden up at the Iron or in the Red Keep. Um but uh, Aegon and a retinue goes down there to greet Alan as their ships come in. Alan disembarks from his ship and wraps Aeg and greets Aegon, saying, "Well, after after meeting his child for the first time, he uh, greets a the King Aegon, saying, "I'm proud to be your brother by marriage." Remember, Alan is uh, Aegon's half brother-in-law, brother-in-law. <laughs> This is something. Yeah. Yeah. Bela's his Targaryen so. family gymnastics. Yeah. Yep. I'm proud to be your brother by marriage, yet I can never be your brother by blood. But there is one who is. What? And then emerging from the ship are two individuals, a woman of unsurpassing beauty, beautiful lady, and beside her. A man in a in a robe, it appears, a robed figure, and the the person removes the hood from the robe, and to reveal a boy, and that boy, they soon come to recognize, is Viserys Targaryen. What? <gasps> Aegon's little brother. Yeah. Do we remember him? Yeah. Yeah. There's the battle of the uh, there's the battle of the gullet, right? Aegon and young Viserys had been, uh, they were being sent to be protected across the narrow sea and their ships were attacked. Aegon fled on his dragon and escaped, but Viserys did not have a dragon to escape on and he was left. And uh, they figured that he had died. And uh, Aegon had lived the rest of his young life up to that point uh, with tremendous guilt tremendous guilt at leaving abandoning his brother um, and not saving him when he could have uh, he saw himself as the complete opposite of a hero for abandoning his little brother like that so you can imagine Aegon's reaction when he realized uh, who this was and to me it's one of the most beautiful moments in this whole thing uh, is the reuniting of young Aegon and Viserys. Aegon wept, he said, and then 
wrapped Viserys in a fierce embrace, which is both of those things so unlike young Aegon, who, you know, more often than not wouldn't say a word to anybody, would barely acknowledge existence, always sat kind of stone-faced. Here he is weeping, embracing his brother. Um, yeah, Beautiful it, moment, right, Scad? It's a beautiful moment, and it's done beautifully by George and some of the text and the way he lays this out. I mean, he 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 indicates something that you could have maybe guessed about Aegon if you put your mind to it, but he states it in such a way it's beautiful. He says that when Aegon was forced to leave his brother on that ship, it that's, that's the moment that broke him. He is a boy that's been raised on the story of his family being heroes. Mm-hmm. And a hero is not someone who leaves their brother to die by pirates. And then all these other tragedies stack up in his life. Some of them already had happened, actually, and, and more of them happen as he goes. And and this this is, you know, perhaps the event that turned him into this shell of a human, that he could never get past the guilt of having done this. It wrecked him as a boy. Yeah. These these mm-hmm. This type of tragedy can ruin a young person's life. If they don't understand the circumstances, they blame themselves for things that are out of their control, it can wreck their development completely if you're not careful. And I think the way George says this it's it's implied that this event where he had to leave his brother wrecked him and in a moment i'm not sure psychologically this is how this works in real humans but here in a moment it's almost like it's undone he can breathe again his eyes are open if you want to think about you know lord of the rings when you know uh the king when gandalf breaks the spell of theoden right and he can see again and he's his own man again it's it's like he's He's been freed from this bondage, almost. Yeah. And it's just an amazing moment. Well said. Yeah, I, I wrote down there's uh, there's a flicker of redemption's light that comes on for Aegon. Mm-hmm. Right? That he can do this. He can do this. If you work kind of backwards from this moment with Viserys and take everything that you've said into, into account— we find a boy who's got this terribly low opinion of himself, and that started there. He failed to save his brother. You know, then if that wasn't bad enough and damaging enough, as you pointed out, he failed to save his mother. Yep. You know, everyone around him is dead. His How wife. could he possibly be qualified to rule a kingdom? Looking back and seeing Aegon the Conqueror and others, what does he have that allows him to be a ruler? You can see that that those issues with self-esteem and and deep-rooted just self-loathing were uh, were were the reason that we see the Aegon that we see, and you know even in the moments where he did see that did muster the strength to try to do something, he was instantly kicked back down like peak. Yep. And where others might get up, he was already he already had such a low opinion of himself that he's like, yep, I knew it. You've seen that before, right? You, we've maybe been in those situations before where we're, we're having those down moments and then we get kicked while we're down. We're like, yeah, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have tried something yep. because here I am again, right? For sure. That's what he believed already anyways. It's what he felt about himself. So when Unwin was saying those terrible things, that's just reinforcing what Aegon already felt about himself. And that's, again, that's just terrible. Yes. Um, but here's that moment, yeah, the Theoden moment for him, 
where all of that just can melt away as he embraces his brother. Um, and I'm sure there's still some things he'll have to figure out and work with, but this is his brother's back. He can, you know, he can do this now. He can finally move forward perhaps, but beautiful moment. We'll see. Anyways. That moment, that moment of redemption wasn't cheap though, was it Matt? Sure wasn't. So let's talk about, um, let's see what happened here. So what happened to Viserys Targaryen? Turns out that the ship he'd been on, um, had made it back to lease. Viserys had been discovered. Um, he was taken into custody by the Grand Admiral Shirako Lohar, who then later sold him in lease, lice to a magister named Bambaro Bazane. Sounds like a Star Wars prequel name. Uh, Bambaro kept him hidden, knowing who he was, but he was, uh, Viserys was well-treated. He was educated. He was trained in swordsmanship. Um, a very, very comfortable captivity. It was believed that Bombaro's intention was to wait out the dance and then ransom uh, young Viserys back to either Victor. You know, if 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 Aegon ended up winning, maybe they could kill Viserys and send him his head or something like that. But if Rhaenyra had ended up winning, you know, she, she would, of course, pay a, a hefty ransom to get her son back. Uh, didn't work out for Bombaro. Not much did in the end. He died. Uh, he was in tremendous debt, and all his assets were sold. Viserys therefore passed into the hands of a nobleman of a very wealthy family. They had their own bank, and it was doing very well. And this nobleman's name was, you guessed it, Lysandro Roger. What? Yeah. A little surprising uh, to me that Bombaro didn't sell him before the end of the conflict. Maybe he knew Rainier was four, but was seems, on the down and out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like they could have done something. I mean, mm-hmm. given that he was so strapped for cash himself, it, it's just surprising they didn't try. But anyway, it's hard to know when to pull that trigger, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, Lysandro. He he sees an opportunity here, and he marries young Viserys uh, to his daughter Lara. Lara is nineteen years old, seven years older than Viserys. Um, so go get him, Viserys. Had a boy. Um, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, uh, we'd be remiss not to like talk about how awful this is. We talk about it all the time with the women who get forced into these marriages at young ages. This is a kid right. with completely without any agency being forced into a wedding he wants nothing to do with. Um, I mean, I guess we don't know that. We don't have his thoughts, but. She was he's hot. Too, though, he's too young to be making any of these kinds of choices. <laughs> he and, really uh, is. It cuts both ways, I guess. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. It's not a good situation. Yeah. He did reassure who was it, Munkin, that uh, they were physically husband and wife. Yes. Yeah. So it's at this point but that 12, we had. The... I mean, he is twelve. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Drazenko. Roger has his encounter with Alan Oakenfist. Um, Alan Oakenfist goes to Lice, where he makes this discovery. And they start negotiations to uh, ransom Viserys. Now, Oakenfist, Alan 
has no time for this negotiation stuff, right? He's an adventurer. So it's kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Where do I sign? Um, this is going to look great for me when I get back to King's Landing. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be so cool. I cannot wait to see all their faces. I was given oh. a blank checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does he end up promise, uh, paying to get him? Um, 100,000 golden <laughs> dragons. Um, we'll come back to these in a minute. I did some uh, cost comparison. Well, not cost comparisons. But I looked up some other sums that have been paid in gold dragons throughout A Song of Ice and Fire to kind of compare. Oh, interesting. Um, actually, we'll just do it right now. Yeah. So Cersei, when uh, back in Game of Thrones, she'd offered 100 golden dragons for Nymeria's pelt um, back when the whole issue with Joffrey happened. Um, so it's a thousand see. times more than that, I guess. Yep. Okay. Four, now, this is interesting. 40,000 golden dragons was the purse for the winner of Eddard's tourney in oh, King's wow. Landing. Wow. Yeah, 40,000, which That's is quite a, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Edmure offered 1,000 for the recapture of Jamie Lannister. Uh, Emma offered... Uh, her price was one gold dragon for Rosie's maidenhead at the Quill and Tankard. Remember young Pate? Oh, jeez. Um, one. That's disgusting. Your your boy Uthor Underleaf, uh, he was excited about getting 30 gold dragons uh, for coming in second at the final tilt in there at the uh, at the tourney that he was in. Wow, was that so 40,000 for winning Eddard's tourney, the tourney yep. of the hand. And mm-hmm. 30, not 30,000, 30 for 30. second place in this tourney that, yeah. that Uthor was in. Now, and it's noted know, that Uthor's we've... going to smaller tournaments, but... A hundred years have passed. Maybe things are worth more now than they were then. Yeah, yeah inflation and all that. Is a, a comparable sum exactly is Tyrion's promised payment to Brown Ben Plum in A Dance with Dragons is one hundred thousand golden dragons. Interesting. I remember when he's making all those signing all those contracts. Yeah. So anyways, I hope that puts it a little into some context for you. A hundred thousand gold dragons is nothing to scoff at. Um, the other conditions were, uh, they, the crown can't take arms, take up arms against house Roger for 100 years. You're 101. You can do whatever you want to him. Uh, they also must entrust all of the funds that they presently had at the Iron Bank in Bravos. They have to transfer those funds to the Roger Bank. Oops, headache for uh, Unwin, that's for sure. Um, they had to grant lordships to three of Lissandro Roger's sons, and then they had to swear not to set aside... Viserys and Lara's marriage when Viserys turned returned to Westeros. As you can imagine, Unwin not pleased with these terms. What do you think, Scab? Well, um, I don't think they're that bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're that bad. It's a lot of gold, but uh, hearing you put it in context, it doesn't sound that bad. Um, you know, I mean, ba- basically, what you're what you're really giving up is. You know the heir, the heir to the throne, has a queen that you didn't pick. That's really what you're giving up. A couple lordships, eh, cares? 
banking with a different right. company. Eh, who cares? You That's know? a little bit yeah. tricky though, because you just agreed to pay back the iron bank, all these funds stuff. Yeah. So they're going to be upset, but yeah. 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 You know, it, it's a little weird the way they treat the iron bank of Bravos. I, I, I assume something's going to come due on that in a song of ice and fire. That's, that's going to matter and mean something yeah. given that we've got that guy uh, uh-huh. whose name I always forget running around up North. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, they always just seem to kind of seriously. always just like, yeah, well, they'll get it when they get it. And, <laughs> you know, Robert didn't care about paying him back. It just kind of seems, it seems like it never matters. Something's going to come due though. Yeah. yeah that's what I said. I I, I, it seems yeah. like something will, but so, you know, maybe this is bad too. I guess we'll see in Fire and Blood 2, the search mm-hmm. for more money. Um, that's a Spaceballs quote for you. Um, oh, yeah, that is on Spaceballs. Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Uh, but uh, but not that bad. I, I'm i more interested in it from the, from the Roguer perspective. You know, like, what's their game? We're going to Westeros, kids. I mean, it seems like they got it pretty good in lease. They were pretty well set, yeah. It seems mm-hmm. like take the take the ransom money that sets you up pretty good. Let Laura, who's gonna have some, you know, swing and sway in King's Landing, let her, you know, maneuver some things to try to get things to be favorable for you. But don't 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 fly too high there, Icarus. Just don't don't go don't go into Westeros. It's just it's unfamiliar territory to you. I don't know. It, it seems it's reaching, well established where you are. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of weird to uproot the whole family and yes. let's all head over there. And I don't know. If they did. They uprooted the whole family, but feels like yeah. it. Yeah, but it's yeah. like we're coming in. We're invading. Yeah, we are the quack quack car wash of but, coming into the Salt Lake Valley. But anyway, it, all those it, like car washes popping up. Is <laughs> that <Stand> nowhere? <laughs> They start side businesses of fast food joints in Westeros. You know. The Lyseni Queen. Burgers and fries. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, from Unwin's perspective, he would have called foul on the price if he had promised three ducks. I mean... He was going to complain regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Alan, it's Alan. negotiating yeah. something he has no right to negotiate, which is true. Which he doesn't. Yeah. And Unwin hates him already, and he was going to cry foul regardless. But mm-hmm. I don't think the terms are that bad in this case. Right. And you know what? It wrought a wondrous change, as described in the text, in Aegon the Third. Yeah. Uh, we talked about how he'd never forgiven himself for abandoning Viserys on the gay abandon. Get it? Gay is in happy. He abandoned his happiness when he abandoned Viserys. Mm. Oh, yeah, symbolic. Yep, get it? Um, and they became constant companions once again. They picked up right where they left off. Kind of the tragic part of all of this is that as Aegon got his little brother back, he forgot about the other kids in his life, namely Gaemon Palehair, who had kind of ended up, we kind of see in hindsight that Gaemon was kind of replacement Viserys. Yeah. Um, they seem, I think they're probably of a similar age. Uh, no, Gaemon would have been younger. Still no? younger, yeah. Quite a bit um, younger. But having the, the, the little brother mm-hmm. figure, and as soon as the actual little brother returned, Gaemon was kicked to the curb. 
uh, and even little Queen Daenera was much neglected by Aegon at that point, too. Um, he had his brother back, his friend. So that's kind of a sad part to all of this. Yeah, but it's hard to hate Aegon for that. I mean, think about how much a six-year-old and a 13-year-old really have in common. I right. Mean, yep. it's, it's hard to hate Aegon for that. I... And when we when we take into context everything, you know, that had stemmed from losing Viserys in yeah. the first place, yeah. it definitely helps. Yeah. Um, still feel kind of bad for him, though, sure. for a little game on. He's had a tough life. Yes, uh, or yes has for he? sure. Uh, yeah. Well, he is a he is a whipping boy. He's a whipping boy, and I mean, anytime you ask the question, like, have they had it tough? Like, anyone with zero agency has it tough. Has it tough? Yeah, can't control their own yeah. destiny or even their own day to day activities. Has yeah. it tough? Yeah. Sometimes uh, they don't know how tough they have it, which maybe makes it a little easier, but it's still tough. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. One thing this uh, this whole thing did straighten out was the issue of secession, right? Yeah, Whereas secession uh, out. It, it doesn't matter what kids Bela and Reyna have, because the fact of the matter is is that Viserys would be the heir regardless. Now things might switch it up if Aegon has a kid, but for now there is an heir apparent, and by all accounts. Viserys was a worthy heir apparent. He's described as lively, um, possessed of great charm and boundless vitality. He wasn't as handsome, apparently, as Aegon. Apparently, Aegon was a, a good-looking kid, but he struck many as more clever than the king. So uh, there might be some nice yin and yang stuff going on with Aegon and Viserys, where they might be a good kind of power couple together. Um Kind of like Scat and me. <laughs> so, uh, as you can imagine, Alan is even more loved for bringing Viserys home. Is there a bigger celebrity in Westeros, at least in King's Landing right now, than Alan Valerion? No. Uh, maybe maybe may not. Maybe Viserys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, your, your point is well taken. Yeah, what a moment for him, right? Uh, new daughter conquering hero big military victory where he didn't actually have to lift a finger where he didn't do a thing but comes, they don't have to know that <laughs> comes back to his beautiful princess wife delivers a prince to his long-lost brother and sees this reunion moment yeah what a great moment for him yeah who even cares about the elephant thing now yeah uh-huh he probably asked about it though Sorry, <laughs> hey where's that uh where's that elephant i gave you Oh yeah, I, I thought of a great back. name for him. Yeah, no, that's what he would say. <laughs> I think I want to call him Ivory Fist. <laughs> um, that was bad. Eh. Unwin, we've had worse. He, Unwin, unwon again. Yes, he uh, did. He considers the terms ruinous, as he said. That's maybe being a little overdramatic, yeah. as Sked, you pointed out. Uh, but regardless, he's boxed in, though. He can't go back on these things. I mean, what's he going to do? Like, tell them to take Viserys back to Lice? Like, yeah. it happened. It's there. And uh, Unwin finally gives in. He's had it with the unwinning. And uh, the chapter, this chapter ends with... Unwin resigning his handship 
And uh, it says that the Regency approved his resignation with alacrity. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Felicia. That's the second time I've said that in this episode, but they were more than happy to see Unwin leave. Uh, His now all the appointees that he'd that he'd put into positions, including his um, ten fingers, Tessario, led by Tessario, they remain in King's Landing. But Unwin leaves, uh, and Thaddeus Rowan is appointed Hand of the King in his place, and uh, that's that's where we end. That's where we end. Yeah, I mean, he, his departure is a little weird, right? He's like, "This is bad. We we can't do this. I'm undoing the deal." And they're like, "Yeah, you're right. It was bad. We're doing it anyway." Yeah, this, <laughs> like, I mean, sorry, well, this, this, this is, is happening. Yeah, we're, we're doing it. Well, at least let me call him. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, they're basically like, don't let you, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Get out of here. We don't care. He's mm-hmm. he's basically being a pouty teenager, right? Yeah. Um. You know, a, a really good, a really great person in this situation would say, okay, this is what it is. I got to make the best of what's happened, and I got to just buckle down and do my job. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that. He kind of quits, which is probably for the best, to be honest. Yeah, because it was for him. It was never about doing his job. No, right. Yeah. And and to that extent, he still leaves a bunch of people in power when he left. When he left. And, right, uh, which makes you, know, you go, hmm. What's that going to mean for the future? Right. But we'll have to find out after our summer break what it means for the future. Because that's it. That's, that's all she that's wrote, all, that's man. All we got for this section. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Kalisar. Should we move on to our closing quotes? Closing remarks? Yeah, we should. Um, oh, just a quick spoiler. I had this at the bottom of my notes. Aegon Third and Daenera gave birth to Dana the Defiant, who ended up banging her cousin, Aegon the Fourth. Aegon the Fourth. Yep. Who... Gave and then gave birth to Blackfire. Damon Blackfire. It's all coming. Interesting, right? Isn't Here it cool it to see the the lineage there? Yes, it so. is. All right. Fire and Blood Two. It's gonna come someday. Right. Someday, someday. Well, Scad, guess what? What? My sake. My second favorite band in the whole world <laughs> announced yesterday. They have a new album coming out in August. And they gave a song the, out, I guess, because you you shared it with me. The Hold Steady. Did you listen to it? Yeah. Did you catch those yeah, Metallica it was, lines? It was catchy. Yeah, I caught them. <laughs> Master yeah. of Puppets, Kirk Hammett. Yeah. Kirk Hammett, the pilot looked like Kirk Hammett. I, don't, I have no idea what that song is saying to the point where I looked up the lyrics. I'm like, what are they getting at? But It's totally it's a guy going on a drug trip. That's, yeah, that's what it felt that's like. A big part of what he it was. He Endeavor, yeah. gets a haircut, and roams around, kind of falls asleep yeah. on the bed listening to music something something you got it that's a classic craig finn story he's the (laughs) the vocalist um yep uh and a line from the song stuck out to me so it's my closing line today for all my perfectionists out there he uses it in the context of drugs actually (laughs) uh but uh i'll use it in in terms of of looking for the good so this is matt signing off saying it doesn't have to be pure. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be worth it. It's funny. When I saw your tweet saying you were going to use the quote and I looked at the lyrics, I was like, I bet it's that one. 
I bet that's it's one he's going to stands use. out, right? And yeah. he's talking about it in terms of drugs. Doesn't have to be pure. Doesn't have to be perfect. Just got to be worth it. Just got to give to me be a hug. worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote that one down because I like the lyric too. I wrote it down to use it in case you didn't. Uh, oh, but I have nice. A, but I have a backup. Um, okay. Since we're going to be not seeing you guys or talking to you guys for a while, other than on the the social media, won't be an episode out for a little while over the summer. Uh, I will just say. Enjoy the time. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. So oh, did you come up it. with that on your own? Uh, I did not. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> hey, good night, Calisar. Good night, everybody. Spider-Man's coming soon. Should we figure yep. that thing? I'd love to. I feel like all we're doing I'd is love Marvel to. films now. Well, well, the boot fits. Um, we could do Dark Phoenix. <laughs> oh my gosh, that thing is getting trolled big time. Did you? <clears throat> I was reading today that they are estimating to lose upwards of two hundred million dollars on that film, just because of how bad it bombed. Yeah. I mean, it's not even gonna make fifty, right? I don't know. I think it was like it was. I think it was at like forty-two or forty-three or something like that. So it's crazy. I mean, look, I wanted to like those films more than just about anybody, uh, but they they just after the first two, to be honest, I feel like tonally they were just missing the mark. Right. Like they, the first one, I really enjoyed. Well, they really nailed the Xavier Eric relationship they nailed that really well it was more about those two it seemed like than right and their relationship than it was just about and wolverine and and but but you can only do that for so long right and they they left they left so many great characters as just kind of fragments of who they are you know Mm -hmm. i mean scott summers yeah he can be a little boring but there's actually a lot to him if you read the books and stuff you know, but like, they did nothing with him. I mean, he was, he he was literally a visor that shoots beams. I mean, he could have been a robot. Pretty vanilla, yeah. yeah. And Storm too, like, almost nothing. Just very bland, you know. And I don't know. I just I feel like just tonally they missed it big time. The almost all those films, first class is a little a little different and a little interesting, but yeah. They just missed it. It's too bad. We'll see what we'll see what Marvel can do with it. Yeah. Back. Well, and they just they just let the buzz around it die. Like yeah. they put all this money into marketing, but people just didn't care because I think a lot of people had just forgotten about it. Yeah. It's been so long since they'd had a movie out. Meanwhile, you've had all these Marvel movies come out. Yeah. You know why do why should I go see this one? Yeah. Just. Poorly done all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's good people in it. I like. Oh, dude. I like the talent. It just they haven't told a good story in a long time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Didn't expect to talk about that today. Hey, maybe that could be our first really poorly reviewed movie. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we, fin- we finger it, and we uh, we didn't even and we didn't even see it. <laughs> let's just yeah let's just release what we just said <laughs> as, as the, the films, films get fingered, fingered.
eight minute films get fingered. That's awesome. Uh, disclaimer, neither Scad nor Matt saw this movie. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Oh, God, I'm going to sneeze. There it is. Wow, that was a good one. Sorry about that. Felt that one here. (laughs) And sorry for putting the word badass in your uh, summary there. I completely forgot that you wouldn't say that. Yeah. Uh, So, 